Have you ever heard that theory that like we live in a, a simulation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're all just brains in a box, and someone's just like pumping us yeah. full of like hormone juices or something. Yeah, I think the idea is that like since we can simulate stuff here on Earth, like you know we have the Sims and stuff. Um, mm. That oh man, maybe somebody's simulating us. Uh, uh, I heard a smart scientist guy say that that's not true though. So hey, you know that must count for something. <laughs> Great. <laughs> um Lucas do do you want to talk about your mental health update what what you you said you had an idea in mind I did yeah oh man I have so many ideas in mind so I'm going to start by plugging this charity fundraiser thing that I'm doing it's actually really closely related to this mental health thing. Um, they go hand in hand for me. So mm. I'm doing this hiking every day challenge right now, right? Where I hike every day. Unbelievable. Foreign concept. Nobody's gone there before. Uh, and I post about my hikes on Facebook. And I ask people for money for the Cyrus House homeless shelter here in Chilliwack. Um, it's a youth homeless shelter specifically, so it's getting those kids off the off the streets and into some some healthy grub and some healthy lifestyles, you know, giving them the skills they need to not live on the streets anymore. Um, most of the homeless people in Chilliwack are only homeless just because they don't have the money for an apartment. That's it. Um, they did a study back in 2017. They found that we had 221 homeless people in Chilliwack at the time. And 50% of them either did not have the income to support their current housing and lost it, or they weren't able to generate enough money to afford long-term housing. Uh, and that's it. Just being poor. Like, being poor is not a crime. Right? It just means that people are down on their luck and they can't afford something right now. And with the way our society is run, it's very hard for people to support themselves on their own. Right? Like, space is limited. There's... It's really hard to just go out and like live in the woods and build a cabin, you know, like you're going to be doing it on somebody's land or nobody teaches you those skills, right? Like maybe if you've been living on your own for the past like 25 years already, sure, you can handle that kind of stuff. Um, but we're not, we train people in school to be a part of society, right? And when that social contract breaks down and people no longer have the funds to participate in society, it is really hard for them to support themselves on their own. And it's also really hard for them to reintegrate into society. There's a lot of stigma against the homeless where it's seen as some kind of personal failing. Um, and of course, that's not the case. It's 50% of people are just poor. That's it. Half the people out there just don't have money. So places like the Cyrus House are amazing for giving people opportunities to get back on their feet. So that's what we're hiking for. Um, I chose hiking specifically because like, hey, they say it makes you happy, right? They say exercise is good for you. So surely the more of it you do, the happier you're going to be. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's been a lot of fun, though. It's been um, 2020 was a rough year for a lot of people, you know, and it was a rough year for me as well. But having this little <clears throat> daily ritual and habit and hiking every day, it's, uh, it's been good for my noggin. It's been helping me uh, outside of the hiking and outside of the fundraising, too. You know, I'm doing more things with uh, my life that I believe in, and I think that's really important. Mm. I'm done talking now, by the way. 
Oh, okay. Thanks for letting me know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just staring at this counter going up and up. And it's like, I've been talking for four minutes and 50 seconds, basically uninterrupted. So like, I think it's Jason time. Also, I can see these little like sound wave bars. And it's like the Lucas bar is. But the Jason bar is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm, uh, I'm waiting patiently and listening to your story. Um, Thank you for sharing with me. I will, I need to be reined in. You know, I need a host. Um, I need this to be a Jason guided session because otherwise I will talk your ear off. We're going to have a, a, a podcast about nothing but like fungi and weird charity things and like some guy who said mean things on the internet. It's like we need guidance, Jason, us creative types. <laughs> um, well, so you were sort of mentioning this earlier with your hike of how it's mm-hmm. so nice to have that daily, daily practice and. I mean, even on days when you don't, um, yeah, I guess want to go out or what, what is it that's like pushing you out and. Oh yeah. Um, good question. So I guess I never really mentioned that like I am depressed as hell full on got that mental illness thing going on. Um, and there are a lot of ways that it has negatively impacted my life. So hiking and gaining this control over my brain is like it's very um personally important for me as well right uh depression has hurt me in any number of ways like i um uh it's kind of insidious it gets in your brain and it just it stops you from being all that you could be and there's a lot of really unhealthy ways to cope with it like for me i started smoking a lot of pot Because one of the big things that sucks with depression is that you just don't have a lot of certain neurotransmitters, right? It's generally dopamine and serotonin. Dopamine is what kind of like guides your reward circuitry, like what you see value in and derive satisfaction from. So if you don't have enough of it, you just kind of feel blah and unmotivated. You feel lazy and kind of worthless. And you know what? It's a lot harder to feel lazy and worthless when you're hiking six kilometers every day. You know, it's like these kind of behavioral changes are really important for somebody with these kind of mental health issues because it gives you objective, fact-based things that you can use to talk your brain into submission. You know, Um, talk your brain into submission. Oh yeah, because like you know what? It doesn't matter how much I do or how much I accomplish, right? Like I've still got that insidious little voice that depression guy just throwing nasty thoughts at me right um the frequency that they come at doesn't really change for me um it's just that i get better at dealing with it right Mm -hmm. um so developing those kind of coping strategies is like for me i kind of personify my depression i see it as like this you know, thing whispering in the back of my vo- my head. It's like, Lucas, you should kill yourself. And it's like, well, shut up. You're a dumb disease. Like, kill me yourself, man. Start shutting down organs or something. You're fucking useless. Like, you know, you can talk back to it. You can regain that kind of control of the direction of your life. You know? mm. A question I have, and um, yeah, let me let me see how I can formulate it. Like, how much can you trust your own those voices like how much you know it must be difficult to trust what your own brain is saying yeah that can definitely be the case um what's helped for me is just 
learning more about how the brain works and what kind of mechanisms are at play with depression, right? So a lot of it just stems from your, a lot of anxiety just stems from your amygdala being out of whack. You're afraid, basically, right? It's your fight or flight response is being triggered. You feel anxious, you feel nervous. And when it's due to anxiety or a result of things being out of whack, it's because you're like misperceiving the amount of risk in your environment. Um, your brain goes whacked and it says like, oh God, if you fail, like none of the people in the audience are ever going to uh, love you again if you don't hit every note perfectly or something like that. Um, and obviously that's not true. That's not the way that the world works. Um, but you can have this kind of misperception of the risk in a situation. So knowing that it's linked back to fear, uh, you can just kind of talk yourself through these things when it comes up. You can say, okay, I recognize that I'm feeling anxious right now. What's going on in my environment that could be causing me to feel that way? Uh, and then you can start listing things. It's like, am I like physically in danger? I mean, like, no, there's nobody around. Am I you know, sick? I don't know. I don't have a fever. Like, you know, you can just like go through all of these things and talk through this fear and find out if it's a factual fear or if it's a fictional fear. Um, and oftentimes in people with anxiety, it's a fictional fear. You just have to have the kind of uh, mental pathways established so that you can sort through those fears and identify them and see if it's going to let you guide your behavior or not. Right. Um, yeah, I was sort of... I, I think I was telling you about um, David, the retired guy yeah, um, yeah. I, I was just talking to. And I, I was sort of saying, like, listening to his story, it it made me feel better about my current situation. Because I think sometimes what I'm afraid of is, oh, I'm afraid. Like, what if my life is always going to be like how it is now? And I put a lot of... Uh, expectations on my future that my future is going to be brighter than my current you know situation mm-hmm. and um sort of hearing david's story like he's this retired guy at the end of his career talk about how you know it's always kind of like that way you know in a career you have ups and downs and um, you know, your life takes you many places, but you're still, you know, somewhat anxious at the end of it. Maybe uh, I think that just maybe David's wired that way. And I think I'm wired this way, too. Um, Jason, do you think that you're less anxious now than you were five years ago? Well, I think the like manifestation of the anxiety maybe appears less. Like, I think mm-hmm. what you're saying about like your response and how you can react re- like maybe the the anxious thought still occurs, but now I have more choice to say, oh, am I going to react to that, or am I going to just like let let the idea blow past? So you know, maybe the same amount of anxious thoughts still appear, but I only act on say fifty percent of them instead of like eighty percent of them in the past, okay. right? Um, so, so you're kind I of think, saying that like you're coping better with it now than in the past like you kind of like learn to deal with your brain a little bit better yeah coping is an interesting word like would i use coping it's like it's like the thoughts are there always um but how many of those thoughts have to convert into actions um 
Yeah. I mean, okay, I just Googled coping. It says coping means to invest one's own conscious effort to solve personal and interpersonal problems in order to try and minimize or tolerate stress. I think it, I think you're coping. Okay. <laughs> well, um, I, well, I think a part of it, like in the past is I was unconsciously reacting. Um, right, right, right. And like, I, I almost want to like uncope, like unlearn, like with my BFRB, I think me scratching at my hands is me coping. Um, mm. But that's not the coping that I want to be doing. Um, I want to cope in different ways or just, yeah, anyways. Yeah, um, I hear that. Absolutely. Um, yeah, like I've learned kind of the same thing with my relationship with marijuana where like I cope with my depression or with negative feelings by smoking pot. It gives you serotonin or like it binds to your serotonin receptors. It gives you that feel good feeling of satisfaction, right? But it's not a, da- it's not a long-term strategy, right? Like it costs money. It's not good for your lungs. Um, I don't think there's been enough research done on the long-term effects of it on your brain. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's bad. We don't really know for sure, but you know, n- still not a good idea to just overdo any one thing, right? Kind of something I'm learning as I get older is that like everything in moderation is actually pretty good advice. Um, um, So yeah, like some coping strategies are healthier than others. Um, But I think at a certain point, like any way that you cope is, um, I don't know, it's doing the trick, right? Like it's a way to deal with something that's causing you stress. Um, and I think getting better at dealing with our shit is just one of the nice things about getting older. But I think it's important to highlight how far we've come already because, you know, if you have gone from you only act on 50% as opposed to 80%, like that's still an improvement. And there's definite reason to believe that like by the time you're 35, you're going to be down to like acting on 0% of the things. You're a total master of your body and you're pursuing happiness and Zen with hundred percent focus. Like, um maybe that's unrealistic but i think there's still reason to have hope for the future um even though there are people who maybe aren't who are older and aren't coping as well if that makes any sense Mm, you you said something in there like it's doing the trick and sometimes Mm -hmm. i um i wonder if my coping is doing the trick like i think my BFRB, it was like, that's how it was manifesting, responding, but it wasn't like helping me push past or solve it. Um, Um, I think there was a deeper underlying anxiety that I just um, needed to get over first. I don't know. No, that's totally fair. Um, I guess the idea I'm trying to push towards is that like we can master healthier coping strategies mm-hmm. and that hopefully with time I can switch away from pot and find healthier ways to cope, help healthier ways to derive satisfaction from the day to day. And that's what going to therapy is doing for me is that I'm learning um, better ways to put my problems into perspective and just healthier ways to view the world and continuing to invest in that process for me is having results, right? Like I can tell that I'm, um, you know, like I'm not self-harming anymore, right? I'm getting better at 
um, I, I don't even have that same impulse to self-harm that I used to. Like that was mm. very much just something that happened in my past and I'm happy to leave it there. I'm not mm. on uh, any antidepressant medications or anything like now. I'm, you know, pain medication is very weird, Jason. Did you know that we don't know 100% how serotonin actually works? Or like how SSRIs work? Like what an SSRI is, is um, you have these, the way your brain works is you have this synapse, right? You have one neuron and another neuron. One releases chemicals and it gets absorbed by the other neuron. And that's how things get passed on, right? Through neurotransmitters. Um once uh, and one neuron has like released those neurotransmitters, it has these reuptake protein thingies. I don't know if they're proteins. It just sounds right. Um, that reuptake the serotonin, just like calls it back in from that space so that it mm -hmm. stops being absorbed by the other neuron. So what uh, SSRIs do is they inhibit those things that are reuptaking the serotonin, right? So that it stays in that space longer and hopefully triggers those receptors on the other neuron more often. So we know that that's what they do, but we don't know why they work. We just know that, you know, you take enough of these for long enough and sometimes people get happier. Cool. Mm. Um, there can be negative side effects as well. Um, you, for example, for me, when I take SSRIs, um, I lose so much motivation. Um, like I'm more motivated now being off them and smoking pot every day than I was taking SSRIs. So like, it worked in some ways and that like I was less anxious, but I also wasn't able to get anything done. And that meant that my personal life, my personal situation just deteriorated to the point where I couldn't maintain it. And it was making me more happy or more unhappy than the SSRIs were making me happy. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So sometimes they work, sometimes they don't, there's different types. Like don't let this be a sign saying like, don't go, don't take your medication or anything. Like um, I'm still talking to my docs to figure out if there are, different ones I should be on or what we should do. It's a, it's a mess. Um, mm. Almost dropped my laptop. Good Lord. <sighs> I'm, I'm happy to hear that you, um, yeah, don't have those self-harm urges and you, um, you're, you're uh, learning more about your, um, you know, if, if SSRIs are something that's useful for you or not. And it, you know, it sounds like you've, you're learning more about that too. Um, yeah, that, that's good. So you would say you're uh, less anxious than you were five years ago. How would you respond to that question? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I'm still very anxious, but I'm just anxious in different ways and different situations. Like five years ago, I would not be comfortable at all coming on a podcast and talking about myself and my life in any meaningful way. Right. Um, mm -hmm. But now I am. So this isn't something I'm anxious about, but I'm still anxious about, like, um, can't call any to mind right now, but trust me, I'm anxious all the time. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, so uh, um, the doctor prescribed me to take SSRIs as well um, a few years ago, maybe even longer than five years ago. <laughs> you know, five or six years ago, I, I was taking this. Were you afraid to take them? Um, I think I am a little bit. Um, I will probably take them again at some point, but in maybe a different dose or different combination. I think I'm afraid to take them because 
the last couple times I've been on them, I haven't had the results that I wanted. But it's possible that in the future with more therapy, and once I learn to change my brain a little bit, I might have different results with them. So I would say that I'm a little bit afraid to take them, but I think I can recognize that that is not a factual fear. Um, it is a fictional fear. Um, because I also know that if things get bad, I can just stop taking them again and kind of get back to baseline Lucas. And I know that baseline Lucas can still be happy despite the depression. Um, like I wouldn't say that my depression is cured, but I absolutely see the value in like living and investing in myself and pursuing personal happiness. Um, it's just I kind of get diminished rewards sometimes, but it still has benefits. It still has its perks. So the thing that you're afraid of is you're afraid the SSRIs won't give you the benefits that you expect. Yeah, or that the side effects and trade-offs will be um, less beneficial than the positives, I guess. Or it will hurt more than it helps, I guess. Yeah. Uh, you said you said something in there about like, you know, okay, going into more therapy, you can like change how your brain functions. Mm -hmm. Like, what do you, what do you mean by that? Well, the way your brain works and the way that you learn anything is just by strengthening connections and forming new pathways, right? Um, when you're trying to learn something, like say you're studying for a test, right? Best way to do it, you read the material, you take a brief break, you come back and read it again, and then over the next couple of days, actively try to recall that information, right? Because that's your brain's way of seeing like, oh, this is important, we should retain this thing, right? So there's a couple of different ways that memory works, and there's a lot of shit that we still don't understand. Um, but we know that there's like, you can recognize information and you can actively recall it. So recognizing something, you're still remembering it, but you need to be prompted by something external. Whereas actively recalling something, it's information that like you can draw on upon command, right? Um, so strengthening those connections can cause your brain to react to situations differently. Now that I have um, studied about the, the nutrient cycle, the way that things like cycle through our environment, I can like look at a stream and try to appreciate more about it. It's like, oh, look at all of those leaves floating down. They're going to break down and restore nutrients to the lake. And the lake's going to flow down to the river and to the ocean, all that shit. <clears throat> excuse, oof, excuse me, I just choked on my own spit. Um, so that applies to just about everything in your brain. Now, your brain isn't going to completely rewire itself overnight because that would be crazy. You would just be forgetting things left, right, and center. You need to be able to learn new behaviors. And your brain likes to hang on to pathways that are already strong, tried and true survival methods. So these are your um, depression thoughts, the things that are keeping you safe and contained and not taking any risks. Well, your brain knows that this works as a survival strategy. So why go to anything else, right? You have to like try and put in effort to develop newer and healthier habits. And that can be challenging to do. You can develop those healthy habits, but you can only learn things at a certain rate. And accepting that and not being frustrated with your progress is a really big part of 
um, anybody's mental health journey because, um, you know, it's easy to get frustrated. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm being sad now. I'd like to be happy. And we have this weird cultural perception that if you can't perfectly manage your emotions, you're a failure as a human being, which is whacked, obviously. Like, we know the processing emotions takes time. Having emotions does not make you a failure as a person. It just means you have emotions. Like, that's fine. It's normal. It's healthy. Everybody has to do it. But over time, you can make sure that your coping mechanisms for those um, those stressors or those emotions, you can make sure that those coping mechanisms are healthier ones that will benefit you in the long term. So learning to see the value in those positive behaviors is a big part of it. Because like, try to learn anything where you don't understand the value of it or don't see the point. You know, like you have to sit down and read through HR's brochures or something like that. It's like, yeah, okay, sure. I really care about this shit. Um, you're probably not going to remember it. And that's true of establishing healthy habits as well. Unfortunately, when you're depressed, it's really hard to be hopeful. And that can make it really hard to establish those habits because they're not going to pay off immediately. Happiness doesn't just show up overnight. You can't switch or flip and be happy. So depression has a way of holding you in, in that way where you don't have the motivation to improve, but improving and changing yourself is what you need to do in order to be happy. And that doesn't mean that if you're not dealing with your mental health, you're not a valuable person or you don't have value, like you absolutely still do. Um, it just means that sometimes you do have to work to improve your situation. And sometimes that work is pretty hard. Yeah. I I feel like I um you you talked about like the the frustration of yeah, maybe not seeing change or like wanting wanting things to change overnight um and it's so funny like all like be sitting in my bed and like okay, tomorrow I've made the decision that I'm going to, you know, start doing this or stop scratching my hands and, you know, start exercising this much more. And uh, yeah, like it's so, to me, I don't know. It's like so easy to come to a decision, but it's hard to like, yeah, follow through on that yeah absolutely and then when you do fail to follow through you take it as like a personal thing it's like oh man like i screwed up at stopping scratching my hands like i stopped at fa or i failed at stopping quitting pot you know like it it's frustrating to recognize that we have limitations and what we can change and accomplish in ourselves um and i think that's a lot of what you know, like 12 step programs, recognizing a higher power is all about. It's just recognizing that you're human, you're going to fail, you're going to make mistakes, but that doesn't mean you stop trying to get better. It just means you need to learn more about yourself and how you're behaving and why you failed so that you can change your situation. Like today is a really good example for me. Um, it's raining and I did not want to ride my motorcycle to the base of Teapot Hill so that I could hike. I would already be soaked when I got there. It was just, ugh. In the past, I probably would have just 
you know, given up on the whole thing. It's like, okay, fuck it. We're not hiking anymore. I feel like shit. This is so gross. <laughs> but now I'm like, okay, dude, I can just ask my housemate if I can borrow their car and just drive to the hill and then hike. Like I'll still be wet, but I don't, I won't care as much. Mm. Um, so that's recognizing that I do have wants and needs and preferences and I need to make accommodations for myself in order to service the bigger picture, the bigger vision of who I want to be and what I want to accomplish. Right. Um, mm. and I wouldn't be able to do that if, um, I set unreasonable goals for myself. Like, no, you have to drive your motorcycle. You can't ask anybody for help. You have to go all the way to yourself or all the way by yourself and doing anything else is failure. Well, failure would be giving up and not finding another way to get to the hill. Right. I'm going to forget about this in a week easily. And it's going to be just another day that I did go to the hill and I did hike and, um, making those accommodations for myself in the moment allows me to build a better, stronger arching narrative for myself that I can believe in and participate in more happily, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Lucas, can I, um, ask you, or I'd like to learn more about your misophonia. Yeah, sure. Um, what do you want to know? Do, do you think it's linked to your anxiety? I, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, yes, it is absolutely linked to my anxiety, but I don't know to what degree it is, um, or to what degree I have control over it. Um, for new listeners, I'll just explain what misophonia is real quick. It's, um, basically you have, extreme reactions to really common sounds or triggers. Um, for me, it's just food. For whatever reason, hearing people eat just sets off my amygdala. It goes nuts and goes like, dude, fight or flight, freeze, whatever. Don't do anything. You got to panic right now. You have super anxiety. Um, and that's not fun or pleasant because I love food and I like eating food with people. And, you know, sometimes going on dates with cute girls and like, I want to take them out somewhere I like, and I'm worried that I'm going to be freaked out by the town of them eating, and I'm going to panic, and it's rough. Um, it's something that I've had to acknowledge that I don't have control over. Um, it it just kind of happens. Uh, I know that if I'm around people eating, it's going to be stressful for me, um, and I need to make accommodations for that. So... In situations where I'm not prepared, it can get so bad where like I feel trapped and I don't have any way to um, get out of the situation, right? Because it's that um, it's very much that fight or flight reaction. There's a third hidden option that they don't really tell you about as often, and that's freeze, um, fight, flight, or freeze. Usually, my brain goes for freeze, so I'll just sit there and freeze and be uncomfortable and just kind of wait for it to be over, but if the stimulus keeps going, um, it just keeps ramping up. My amygdala keeps freaking out and I keep getting more stressed until, um, you know, I want to flee the situation. That's where I go next. Um, some people get really, really angry when they hear these triggers and they get frustrated and that's, you know, the fight 
portion. Obviously, it doesn't mean you're going to go up and like punch somebody for eating a carrot or anything, but like um, your brain goes there for absolutely no reason. It's just wires are getting crossed. Um, they don't have a lot of knowledge on like what causes misophonia or the best way to treat it. And there's actually not a cure for it, as is unfortunately the case for a lot of <clears throat> mental illness stuff. Uh, but there are things that you can do to live with it a little bit better. So I try to focus more on those things that I can do um, because focusing on the fact that there's no cure isn't very productive for me. So um, again, like, do you, do you feel like in situations where you're more anxious, the misophonia appears more or like mm-hmm. you, you said, you said something interesting that I don't, don't know if I ever really appreciated where like anytime you have to go out and eat with other people, there's an element of preparation for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so for me, that kind of preparation is like, I always try to have my AirPods on me and I always try to make sure that they're fully charged. Um, as worst case scenario, I can just like pop in my headphones and yeah, I'll look like a dick, but I can, you know, put on some white noise and kind of tune out the, some of the sounds that are making my brain go nuts. Um, it's definitely something that I don't always like talking about because um, most people don't fully understand it. It's kind of challenging to explain. Um, and it's doubly hard to explain in the moment when somebody's eating and your brain is going crazy and you're feeling fear in that moment. Um, it's harder to have a calm conversation about your feelings and what's going on. So, um, this is why it's like, it's really important to understand what's going on in your brain and how to communicate it to others because like mentally ill people, yeah, you can absolutely have relationships, right? Like, um, that's totally fine, but you need to know about what's going on in your brain and how to communicate it to your partner so that it doesn't bleed over onto them. So for me, that means if I'm dating somebody, um, I need to be able to communicate what misophonia is before it becomes an issue. And that doesn't make it easier for me to do. It's still a challenging conversation. And there's been people who like didn't fully understand it. Um, And that's fine. Not everything works out, you know, and if they, um, it's worth taking the time investing in yourself and finding out who you are and what you need um, so that you can wait for the right person who can give you what you need in a relationship. Um, Each person that you're with is kind of there to, um, you know, help shape you and help you learn about yourself and what you want out of partners in the future. Not every relationship has to work out. We're all hoping for the one that will, you know? Um, I definitely diverged away from misophonia talk here. Lucas, you yeah. said you needed a host to rein you in. So <laughs> my my question is, you um you don't always want to explain misophonia to others, and I definitely empathize with that mm-hmm. with my uh, BFRB. Like for so long, I just had this 
long list of excuses of, oh, you know, I cut my hand chopping or my skins are dry or, you know, like mm-hmm. um, I, I had a whole host of like lies that I was so ready to give. And every single time I would say it, I um, I would feel bad after the fact that I'm like, oh, I can't believe I lied to my close friend about this thing and like mm. why aren't you ready to share about this yet um so uh, th- what i wanted to ask you is like like y- you said something in there about like waiting to find the right person to share it for do, like how do you know you want to share with somebody like how what what compels you um, yeah good question um mostly just necessity right like try getting in a relationship with somebody and not eating food around them it's just it's not going to happen. Um, so communication is a healthy part of any relationship. Um, and if you find somebody that you're not comfortable talking about the most basic part of who you are, it's generally not going to be a healthy relationship anyways. So um, like, definitely don't lead with this. Like, Don't put it in your fucking Tinder bio. It's like, hello, I'm extremely mentally ill. Love me, please. I don't want to die that's not going to go anywhere right like it it doesn't define me it's not the most important thing about myself it can wait but it should come up early because it's not fair to the other person because then i'm gonna you know i'm gonna react to that meeting i'm gonna feel stressed and uncomfortable and um somebody who cares about me isn't going to want that right um and when i'm talking about each partner kind of like shaping who you want out of the future partner it's you know breakups happen and they're normal they're not all going to be because of your mental health issues it could be because you disagree about money or because um you guys don't have the same ideas about how much time you want to spend together or whether or not you want kids or you know there's a lot of really important deal breakers for people and you have them too everybody has them knowing what they are is um, kind of a requirement for finding somebody who meets your requirements. How are you going to know who your Prince Charming is if, uh, you know, you don't have a list of qualities that Prince Charming should have? And then the counterpoint is, can you get Prince Charming? Oh, man. Like, um, when I think about the kind of girl that I want to be with, like, I want somebody who's emotionally mature and can talk through their issues, which means I should probably be emotionally mature and talk through my issues. So therapy is good for me because I get to figure out my shit a little bit better and that helps me um, get closer to getting with the kind of person that I want to get with you know and when I say Um, get with I mean like love that sounds so like yeah I want to get with that girl no I'm sorry I mean like get with romantically forever kind of thing (laughs) (laughs) Lucas um, yeah so the response I heard was you share out of necessity. Mm-hmm. It it sounds like you don't want to share. You you have to share. You you share begrudgingly. Is that fair? Yeah. Mm. Hmm. Good question. I don't like the word begrudgingly. I'm I'm happy to share it now because I recognize that it is a necessity. Um there's this article I really like by this guy that rented a herd of goats and then sent out a, a floor wide email to his office. And then somebody hit reply all instead of reply. And they were like making fun of him. 
um they were like oh that's such a thing to do or like oh he's so extra or something like i can't remember what it was but anyway this guy uses it as a launching point to talk about how um being known is kind of the first step to being loved um what's the quote that he uses you have to submit to the mortifying ordeal of being known in order to be loved or something like that. I'm butchering it a little bit. So basically, whether I like it or not, misophonia is a reality of my life. And it's important for people that are important to me to know about it. Because it's not a happy fact. It's not something I enjoy talking about. And it's definitely not something I enjoy living with or asking people to make accommodations for me for. But in order for me to fully be accepted, I have to let myself be known for who I am. And the reality of that is that I have misophonia and it does affect my life a little bit. So my romantic partner kind of needs to know about it. Um, in reality, like the day-to-day life for me is not too bad. Like it's not like people are eating around you all the time. And like, if you're somewhere where there's background noise or background noise, you're listening to music, like it's not a big deal, but it is a, it's a fact of life and you do need to talk about it. And I recognize now after a couple of bad relationships that just like, I don't want to put up with somebody who's not going to put up with my weird ass brain. Right. I'm willing to forgive a lot of shit. I need to be with somebody who can forgive a lot of shit too. Um, my responsibility as a romantic partner is to make sure that there's like as little of that shit as possible, but talking to somebody about it and letting them know who I am as a person, there's never going to be anything wrong with that. Um, even if it's the unpleasant stuff, you know, it's, you want to invest in somebody who will be with you a long time. Right. And that requires communication. Lucas, I don't know if, um, this is an this is a fair observation that I got just from your response, mm-hmm. but like to me, it sounds like you're upset that you have misophonia. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I'm I'm upset with it the same way that you get like upset that you get hit by a car. You know, it's um, it's not a pleasant thing in my life by any means, but this is. This is kind of what I'm talking about when I was talking about reframing the narrative and like changing your perspective on things, building healthier habits, focusing about how unpleasant it is and how much it sucks in the moment is something that would prevent me from fully dealing with it properly. So like, yeah, I'm absolutely upset with it. Um, But I mean, yeah, it sucks. Like you guys can tell that it sucks. Like just, um, I don't think it's something, I don't think it's an area where I have stuff to meaningfully contribute, but I can talk more about how to healthily live with it and how to make my situation better, right? Um, That's what I'm hiking every day for. It's Hiking is the easy part. Dealing with my weird fucked up brain, that's the challenging part. Um, But I'm trying to build healthy habits in all parts of my life. And, you know, sometimes that means recognizing it's okay to let go of being upset about something you can't control. Um, I am upset with it, but I'm not going to let it live rent free in my brain. I've got other things to think about, man. I got pot of soup greens. Yeah. Um, do you feel like anger towards it? 
Hmm, good question. Or have you ever felt anger? That is a good question. I'm not really sure. Um, Because I know that I feel anger in the moment, but like those are fake feelings coming from a mental, a weird mental association, right? Um, Probably, I think. Because like, okay, we were talking about fear earlier. Um, We've talked about this, but I haven't dropped it on the podcast. There are only two basic fears in the world. Um, there's all fears can be reduced to either being the fear of not being in control or the fear of not being enough. Now I am absolutely not in control of my misophonia. I can't choose whether or not to have that reaction to the sound of somebody doing something as basic as eating, but I don't have to let that fear control me or stop me from being an effective communicator um, in terms of how I need to manage my life with my people closest to me, right? Um, So it's easy to feel anger in response to powerlessness or in response to fear, but I don't really see anger as a very productive emotion most of the time. Most of the time when I get angry, I get like, you know, you go through an argument in your head and you're looking for somebody to fight with and you're like, mm-hmm, I'm going to argue with this guy and I'm going to pick a fight with the librarian or whatever, right? Like that's where your mind goes because you're angry, but that's not going to help you actually solve anything. Um, if you're feeling, feeling powerless, then like you still have the agency to change your situation or try to change your behaviors. I can't control my misophonia but I can control my voice box and I can talk to the people in my life and say, Hey, this is a problem for me. And I need to make these accommodations for it. I hope that's cool with you. And then if there's somebody that's worth having in your life, they will say, absolutely. Thank you for telling me. Um, Maybe it's a new situation for me too. And I'll have to build some habits, but like, we'll work on it. The willingness is there, right? People in your life should be willing to invest in you in that way. Um, so for me, it's just like another way of diver- diverting around failure. Like, avoiding that anger for me is more about effective problem solving. Um, recognizing that I'm angry is good because I still have those emotions. Um, but what's the next step? Where am I going from there? Um uh, Lucas, you, you you started that response by calling anger a a weird fake feeling that shouldn't exist. Um, and I mean, you said something that I tell myself all the time is that uh, uh, anger is not a productive emotion. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. But like. I mean, productivity is a very strange concept. I mean, for me, I think a uh, it's a like product like you could say anger doesn't exist in the same way productivity doesn't exist. Like they're both just these two concepts that humans have put labels on. Um, Ooh, good question. Well, let's define this further. I would say like it's not productive in terms of achieving my long-term goal of personal happiness. 
See, and I think that's fair to say. Um, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. For me, I think I had a long time to desire for control, right? Like you said, the two two basic fears um, of not being accepted or not being in control. And I saw fear or I saw anger as being out of control. And um, I, I think for so long, I was afraid of fear in the same way that like when I was first drinking, like I was afraid of becoming drunk. Um, and so I like... Uh, mm. Like I refused and I did not accept the fact that like, oh, I might be drunk right now. Um, I was like in denial about being drunk where now, honestly, I'm at a point where it's like I could drink like one beer and I'm with friends and I could just like allow myself to fall into that like happy drunk state um, Mm -hmm. where I'm like, I think I'm just like less afraid of being drunk. Like I think this idea of being out of control it's like it's like being like i'm mixing so many metaphors but uh it's like you're throwing <laughs> yourself into the ocean and like just let the waves take you and i think in the past i would be afraid of what that feeling is but now just being like Ooh, really you know like what that. it's okay even though i'm not in control it's like not dangerous um and it's like uh, holding those two conflicting ideas in my brain is um I, I think a part of me growing up and learning is just like life is a paradox you know you you can be out of control but still not be in danger um and i yeah. think i'm trying to learn that with anger as well that like you know, it's sure not productive. It's not, it's not like a, like it's an ugly emotion, but like, I I think Mm. maybe I, what, again, I'm trying to learn to like accept those ugly parts of myself in the same way that like, Oh, I wish I could just be happy all the time. But like, even when you're super Mm. like, you cannot cut out anger. Like anyways, but this is what I'm learning. What do you think? No, I'm totally with you on that. I think we have a similar perspective on it, but maybe different. Um, term- like, I think anger is a good indicator that there's something going on that you don't like. And I think it's important to recognize um, that you can be angry, but that doesn't mean that the feelings and thought processes that come as a result of being angry are legitimate. I think recognizing that anger just means you're dissatisfied with something and focusing more on how you can change your situation is like the healthy response to it, right? Like there's, there's different ways to cope with that anger. Um, and like we were talking earlier, there's healthy ways to cope and there's unhealthy ways to cope. So recognizing why you're angry, it's like, oh, I'm angry because I'm afraid. Well, why am I afraid? Well, it's because um, I'm afraid of not being enough for my romantic partner, right? I'm afraid if I tell them this thing, they're going to be upset with me. Or I'm going to be afraid if I make this move, they won't be receptive to it, something like that. Um, And then, yeah, you can break down those fears. And based on your past experiences, you can be like, okay, wait, no, I can handle this. I just need to do this. So you can think through it more logically rather than more emotionally. 
And I really liked what you said about being adrift in the ocean um, and not being in control in that sense, because like we're learning how to swim a lot better and we can let ourselves drift in the ocean a little bit without getting lost. And I think it's important to recognize that part of yourself as well. Like you do have skills, you can handle your emotions. You just need to, you know, practice and get better at it and see where you want to be long-term. Lucas, the way you talk about it, it sounds like the end goal is you'll never be angry. No, I don't think I'll, because that just means you're not human, right? Like if you lose your response to unhealthy garbage situations, then like you will never seek to change it. Um, I don't think my goal is to be never angry. My goal is definitely to be angry less. Like there's... If I wanted to be angry all the time, like I can find a ton of outrageous shit on the internet to get really upset about, right? Like there's misery and garbage and sadness all around us, but I don't have to go looking for it either. And when it comes my way, as a result of my situation, whatever it is, I don't have to let it linger either. I think it's okay to be angry. And I always want to be a person who can get angry at outrageous, unfair things. But I don't want to be a person who gets overwhelmed by that anger and lets that anger take him someplace he doesn't want to be, right? Like, Lucas, is like for me, I think I was angry towards my BFRB as an outrageous, unfair thing. But it was really hard for me to um, let myself be angry. You talk about anger as a as a coping, but like, so you know, maybe angry is an unhealthy coping, but the response to that is like suppression, like anger suppression, which I would also argue is maybe not super healthy either. No, no, no. My response to it isn't anger suppression. Like, um, I think it's, you can't control whether or not you get angry. I'm always going to get angry when things suck or, you know, something shitty happens right like it's a natural response to a bad situation it's just there are many places that anger can take you like when you get angry you want to raise your voice i don't need to yell to get my point across and it just shows people that like i can't control myself um i think like there's definitely a middle ground between what you and i are saying you can let yourself be angry but not let yourself be angry too much that it defines you um, just recognizing that it is happening and why it's happening. Um, I think that's a great place to start because you still get to control where you go after you get angry and recognizing that you have that control is a really good place to be. Um, I, uh, I, I, I just finished reading this book um, and in it, there's a girl who gets hit by a um, hit by a car, and she has to learn how to walk again. And then the doctor in the hospital like hands her a pillow, and she's like, "I want you to scream inside this pillow," and and then she does it. And then the doctor's like, "No, that's good enough. You're still holding back. Like, um, I want you to scream until your vocal cords hurt." Um, of like, yeah, like this is. 
what the doctor said was like anger is part of the healing process. What do you think about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So you remember earlier we were talking about grief, right? Um, anger is just one of the stages of grief. Mm-hmm. Um, and grieving is just, you can grieve just about anything. Grieving is the loss of um, a certain feeling or family tradition or routine. Um, so you can grieve any change if the thing that changed was something incredibly important to you. Um, you can grieve uh, a relationship that ended. The person doesn't need to have died for you to grieve the loss of the relationship that you had, right? So when you're going through the process of getting over that breakup, when you notice yourself feeling angry, you can realize like, oh, okay, I'm not really pissed off that they're out of pizza pops here at Walmart. What I'm actually pissed off about is that um, my relationship is over and I'm still dealing with feelings from that. Um, like it takes, on average, it takes seven months to fully grieve the end of a relationship. I don't know if you knew that. Hmm. Um, obviously it's going to depend on how long you've been with the person, but that's why it's an average, right? Seven months. That's fucking wild. That's the better part of a year. So, um, giving yourself permission to like have those feelings is fine because then you're not going to feel like a total failure because you're getting angry at some pizza pops. You can be like, oh, wait, maybe I'm not actually angry about these pizza pops. Maybe I'm angry about something else. And it's the same with my misophonia, right? If I get a trigger and somebody's eating, I feel angry at like, um, if I feel angry at like the source of the sound, I can be like, really, do I care about the sound of a spoon hitting a bowl? Like, is that something that I personally am upset about? Or is this just some weird chemical process going on in my brain? And you can talk yourself through it and figure out how you're going to act logically rather than emotionally. I, you know, I don't think you are actually angry at the other person. I guess the question I'm asking is like, are you angry at yourself? Um, in the moment, I definitely feel angry at the other person. Um, but like, that's not a legit feeling. That's a feeling that comes about as a result of just my brain not like this is something that's specific to misophonia um like my brain is physically shaped differently from other people's they don't fully understand how it works like anger is just a result of that condition that's all it doesn't matter if i'm angry at the person if i'm angry at myself um it's not my fault that i have this condition so being at myself angry at myself doesn't help being angry at the other person doesn't help because like the amount of anger that I feel is not it, Lucas it doesn't help but I'm asking are you I mean yeah that's what I'm saying I am angry in the situation mm-hmm. but I'm still saying that I can control how I act I don't have to give in to that anger and let it define me do you think I'm like too fixated on this point am I asking too much of this I think a little bit yeah I'm not sure if I understand what point you're driving at. Um, it feels like we're almost close to having a goodwill hunting moment, but I don't think I'm going to get there, man. Sorry, buddy. Um, maybe it's just we view anger in different ways, and that's fine because that's going to be influenced by how we have grown as people. You know, we talk about this all the time, how we like, uh, or at least I talk about this all the time, how like we tend to have the same kind of revelations in life, and then we talk about them like every time we meet up, and then it's like, oh yeah, cool, kind of on the same path, but. 
you know, we can be on different paths too, and we can have different personal relationships with it. Um, I guess I, um, I continue to ask because I like keep on f- meeting some resistance. Like it feels like you're being defensive about something. Um, and I'm just curious about that. Uh, and I, I yeah, maybe I'm like being a little shitty and poking this like raw tender spot a little bit, but I'm just observing that it's like all your responses have been quite slippery. <laughs> so that's why I think. Um, yeah. And that's definitely by design. Though. Um, I think like, I just, I don't agree with the basic premise that like I'm angry for any one thing. Because in the moment, I can feel I'm angry at this person, but the anger that I'm feeling isn't legitimately directed at this person because they've done something wrong, which my brain would have me believe, right? Um, I guess, like, I don't like to let anger exist in a vacuum because anger doesn't exist in a vacuum. Um, like, how, how do you think a situation would go if I just, like, gave into it and let myself be angry at the person i'm so i'm not so much interested in the anger in the moment and you like blow up at me for eating carrots i'm more asking when you're like trying to fall asleep and okay so this is my situation me i'm trying to fall asleep and i just get like angry at myself for jason like it's so unfair that you scratch your hands until they bleed and it like it gets in the way of my life and then i'm like you know you you talk about grieving and anger as a stage of grief i think i was perpetually grieving my bfrb and i was stuck on this stage where i i maybe i didn't properly process my anger and so i could never move past it i think that's what i i'm realizing about myself um like i would never be angry at people asking like oh jason like your hands look really um you know bad i like okay in one defense mechanism i'd be angry i'd like shut up like look at your own hands um i that's not what i'm that's not where I'm interested in. It's more like, you know, someone makes that comment and then for three days I would just be angry at myself for like, Jason, I can't believe you have a BFRB. Like, you're such a freak. Like, I, I think that's what I was mm-hmm. wondering if you feel that way. Yeah, no, that's fair. Um, I think one of the things I want to uh, touch on is like the grief stages. Um you can flip between them as well. So you can go from denial to bargaining back to denial again for a little bit and then be angry. Um, and it's totally normal to stay in one for like longer than others. Everybody grieves a little bit differently, right? Um, I think I've seen enough Hallmark movies to know that that's the case. And it's, remember, grieving is mourning the loss of, a tradition or routine or a particular feeling. And it's possible when you have, you know, conditions like misophonia or BFRB that you continue to miss out 
on daily traditions. So it's like there can be new things to grieve as you continue to just live your life, right? Um, yeah, I absolutely have that same feeling in the dead of night where I'm like, oh, I'm just so angry that this exists. It's just so unfair. Like, um, I want to go out for dinner with cute girls and I don't want to, like, I want to be comfortable in my own skin at all times. But I have more control over those thoughts in the dead of night than I do when I'm in the midst of misophonia-ing it up. Um, so I think, I mean, yeah, I, I've had those feelings, but I'm definitely better at dealing with them as I've gotten older and my sleep and general headspace, I think has improved because there's no obligation to be unhappy, right? There's no moral imperative saying you have to sit there and feel angry. Um, so something that I've done a lot is I've developed a lot of mental pathways for like letting go of that anger and returning my focus to the things that I actually care about. Um, one of the, one of my favorite ways to do this is this song called I Wanna by the band Valer. And it's kind of a catchy song, but like halfway through, it just does this little like instrumental bit for a while. And then this like older gentleman voice comes in and he's like, you can begin to let everything go peacefully, happily, calmly, whatever. And it's like, I just think of that. And I'm like, oh yeah, Whew. thanks old gentlemanly British dude. I can relax. I can let go of this. It's fine. He told me. Um, and maybe that's part of that trusting in a higher power thing. My higher power is just some random guy from some song telling me shit's cool. You don't have to be upset. And then I'm like, oh yeah, that's fine. And then... Um, I listened to this sleep podcast and they talked about one of the most effective ways to fall asleep is just get your brain to perform a boring mundane task, like focus on your breathing or just count backwards from a hundred and by twos or something like that, 98, 96, whatever. And then before you know it, you'll just fall asleep. Your body really likes sleep, really likes resting. It's going to stay up if you're fixated and focused on things and stressing out, um, and I think like recognizing what am I going to do by being pissed off at misophonia at 11 o'clock at night, right? Is this going to make my situation better? Am I going to think of new coping strategies? Is this going to improve my relationship with anybody that I care about? No, probably not. So I'm going to remember the powerful words of the I want a guy and I'll just let everything go. And then I'll remember the words of sleep doctor from that podcast I listened to and start performing a routine, boring task in my brain until I start to fall asleep. And obviously I don't do that every time. Sometimes I get wrapped up in my emotions. Sometimes I stay up until like two o'clock in the morning and just feel miserable and sad, but I'm developing better strategies for dealing with those kind of things and um, recognizing that that's possible and that I am deriving results and benefits from my mental health learning and journey and whatever, like that's motivating and encourages me to continue developing those healthy habits. Hello, Lucas. I got a pop-up saying I lost connection to server. Okay. Yep. Hello. You're back. Oh, hello. Um, I think I was done talking. So you, you go right ahead, mister. Okay. 
Um, maybe this uh, internet connectivity issue is uh, a, a sign that um, this is uh, <laughs> where where we'll leave our conversation for today. Um, yeah. Um, a again, nice natural close. Lucas, thank you. Um, thank you for sharing and uh, indulging my questions. Um, I hope. Uh, um, yeah, I don't know. It was it was good. I definitely learned a lot. Yeah, um, it was it was a great chance to catch up with an old friend and talk about myself for a while. I love doing that. Um, <laughs> by the way, my website is potofsoup.ca, and if you go there, you can donate money to the Cyrus Center um, fundraiser thing where I hike every day. It's great. Go check it out. I post fun videos sometimes. It's great. Nobody's thought of it before. I'm the only guy doing it. You got to get in on the ground floor. Um, Potofsoup.ca because we're a Canadian Canadian website. Okay, great. Thanks, Lucas. All right. Have a good one. <laughs>